Hello, Ernest. Hello, Ernest. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Just ready to walk the dog. He's waiting very semi-patiently for me. Oh, so we are we are out and about today. Yeah. Um, well, sort of. I mean, I'm. We're, we have a little bit of sniffles and cough around the family, so we are avoiding interacting ah. with other humans. But I can take the dog for a walk. All right. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, okay. Okay. How's your arms? Are you able to type and things? Yeah, I can type. Um, you know, let me get my notes here. All right. I also sent you a couple of text messages. Yeah, you said about uh, radical centrism. Yeah, so that's one of my blogs. Uh, that started with the manifesto I discussed at the end of last session about um, you know a healthy economy or healthy systems in general involves both. Uh, we're talking about positive sum games, which requires creativity um, and recognition, creating value. For others, recognizing those who create value and normalization so that we are uh, doing both of those wisely. Mm-hmm. So the other link I sent you is uh, kind of a parallel conversation I've been having uh, about structural ra- uh, systemic racism and structural inequality. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we haven't discussed politics as much as economics, but they definitely overlap. And uh, this is on July 2nd, 2020, where we're still grappling with Black Lives Matter and the killing of George Floyd a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, one phrase that I've been playing with uh, just because most people like talk about political problems versus economic problems and I'm increasingly of the opinion that that's an unhealthy distinction in that you know politics concerns itself with certain sets of issues and economics concerns itself with certain sets of issues and there's a whole range of things that overlap between the two that nobody seems to take seriously uh, because they kind of bucket it those way. Well, that's not my problem because that's an economic issue, or that's not my problem because it's a political issue. And it's like, well, then what's the problem? So, um, one word I've been playing with is oikotics, uh, which is you know, the root word economics comes from oikos, meaning house, because in the olden days, economics really meant the Lord and his slaves how they ran their household. Yeah. Um, and you can see a lot of that same uh, implicit bias in a lot of the discussions around economics and how it's evolved over the centuries. And then politics, for its part, was defined by Aristotle as well. We don't really care about the family and the village is kind of boring. What's really interesting is the city where the men 
it's always men and it always means the landed aristocrats can gather together to decide how everyone else should live, which is also a bias that seeps, still seeps into our uh, politics. So I prefer to think of it the other way around, is that for me, the basic unit of analysis is the household, especially the family. And then the question is, what are the conditions under which households can flourish? Um, because you know, every everything you know, everything starts with children, uh, and you know, all those concerns about individual identity and and health and happiness are as bound up in the experience of family uh, in many ways uh, as much as they are in the city and the economy. And so the uh, kind of the, the premise I would start with is that a flourishing society uh, consists of flourishing households. And that has political and economic dimensions, but you can uh, have healthy political and economic, well, you can have uh, abstract political and economic theories that seem to work in a narrow sense, but if they don't lead to flourishing households, you're missing something really important. And so what's interesting to me is like in the context of Black Lives Matter and, and uh, the problems of inequality, which you have probably more direct personal experience of than I do, is that over the centuries, we've tried different political and economic solutions um, that haven't actually, um, you know, they've helped certain, they solved certain problems, but they've made other problems worse. And, you know, for example, in the Black Lives Matter context, you know, the Great Society reforms of Lyndon Johnson uh, had many wonderful positive impacts for many individuals, but arguably it made the uh, uh, overall health of black communities that remained black worse. Right? Before desegregation, at least black communities had relatively strong families and relatively strong civic leaders. And now between education and prison, we've kind of splintered all of that. And so if we need, want to solve that, we need solutions that include politi political economic reform, but are really full and focused on helping Blacks create multiple levels of healthy social institutions. You still with me? Mm -hmm. yeah, so anyway, that's, yeah. So uh, I think that's what, um, and I think I want to touch on the, one of the the potential dichotomies that you brought up on the sleep chat, where you said that I was more interested in working within the existing framework of capitalism, whereas you're more interested in trying to starting over from scratch. Okay. Mm -hmm. is, 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 uh, just, uh, could you kind of maybe elaborate on why you made that comment? Oh well, that's um, uh, the other project that I have is uh, you know need to really really uh, start over.
Can you just speak up a bit? I'm having trouble hearing you for some reason. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I'll speak close to the phone. Um, the my humanity program uh, uh, project is to start over, not have, not rely on the institutions and practices and policies that we've had, you know, such as capitalism, such as market. Um, but you know, you're more centered in the well, you know, our reality is that we have capitalism and we have market. So. Uh, the way that I that, that I observe your position is that you are starting from, well, we have to leverage our capitalistic systems to create a better uh, system, you know, um, because indeed it's it's hard to just cancel capitalism, you know, we can do that. Uh, what we can, in my opinion, we can do is start small. You know, let's take you know, let's be like the Amish. Let's be like the people that you know buy a ranch and then just, they just go out there and stay to themselves. We we could be take in my in your know, we could take uh, something like that and expand it. You know, something that uh, you know, like you were saying, we were talking about the family. Um, so let's start. You know, let's start even from the individual. So we want a better society. Well, uh, that a society is made up of individuals, right? It's also made up of families, but it's mainly made, families are made up of individuals. So as an individual, what am I? What do I, what is my purpose? What do I believe in? And then uh, from there, grow, grow out, uh, uh, you know, going to the families, going to groups, going to communities, and always centered in, uh, I also have been thinking about it from a scale, you know. Um, some people have small families, two, three people. Some have larger, you know, uh, extended families, hundreds of people. Uh, and there's a key, uh, societies that have a small number of communities. And then we have cities that have a large number of communities. But in the large side, that's when... Um, uh, the breakdowns are more uh, uh, apparent. You know, people don't know each other, um, and there are uh, levels of separation that kind of make relationships more as abstract and not as uh, as real. Uh, so I want to, you know, uh, have us uh, or help, you know, explore a system where there's always knowledge, like family. You know, you have neighborhoods where families know each other, mainly, I guess, the, you know, at several levels, at the parent level, you know, the parents know each other, and then the kids may or may not know know the other kids. But in this neighborhood, mainly, uh, you know, the parents can relate through, what, uh, housing associations and uh, neighborhood watches and, and other things. So there's like a, a relationship there, then there's the, more uh, affluent um, relationship with, with, with the, between the young people, the kids. You know, they go, they go and play. They form teams or you know, uh, uh, little groups of uh, people that are uh, close in age, close in interests. So the relationships are closer and more uh, utilitarian and more helpful. But then when you go out into the city, into the city level, that's when 
you know, people from one side of the city, they don't strictly relate to people uh, on the other side of the city. But if we mm -hmm. have like a, I don't want to say hierarchical, but uh, something similar where, uh, where we have several families that have that relate in this neighborhood, but then if we have a, uh, a relationship between those two neighborhoods where uh, the neighborhood themselves, uh, the entities that are the one neighborhood and the other neighborhood have strong relationships. Let's say, um, uh, you know, uh, people who can, uh, who, as an example, there are some uh, experts in gardening that might, uh, mm -hmm. from one neighborhood, that might uh, be able to share their knowledge with the, in the with the other neighborhood. So you have some sort of uh, uh, helpful relationship. Yeah. yeah. So if we go that, if we can do that at higher levels, you know, communities, um, and we can leave it even as a, at a community level, not going to the city level. If we can do that and have uh, uh, communities that are really cl uh, close together, related, relate relating to other communities that are also, uh, they have strong relations within themselves, but then together they can do more things. You know, uh, they can uh, take uh, they take, care, take care of the environment better because, you know, uh, uh, the size, you know, with more mm -hmm. individuals, you can, uh, let's say, form a community that is a, a manufacturing community uh, that, because you know, to manufacture steel, things are made of steel or things like that, you need large industries. But instead of mm -hmm. leaving the, these industries to you know uh, investors that are not, they are not vested on the success of, of uh, using resources uh, effectively and, and producing goods that uh, can help the community itself, itself or even other communities. Uh, investors, for the most part, are just interested in making money. But if we can come together, just like in the old times, you know, you come together because you have a common problem, and with higher numbers, you can solve it better. If we can keep this uh, philosophy, you know, at all levels, in my view, we can have uh, a better society. Uh, so that's my, you know, my idealistic goal. Right, yeah. So, so I think a couple of interesting points there. One is, like, in very broad strokes, I think, you know, we have the same values, right? We value relationships. We value community. We value um, uh, making decisions based on the broad range of stakeholders, not just a narrow set of interests, and certainly not just narrow financial interests, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, the, I think the hard design problem is that a purely bottom-up approach is um, horrendously, so um, what am I supposed to say in the positive sense? So uh, bottom-up communities tend to be very good at representation and very bad at decision making. Top-down communities tend to be very efficient at decision making and very bad at representation. Do you agree with that trade-off? Uh, 
or decisive wisdom, I'll say better. Not necessarily the wisdom of the decision, but the speed of making decisions. So there's an inherent trade-off between speed of decision and the representational representation of it. I mean, and you know, the exact level of the trade-off depends on the technologies and techniques in question. But I mean, it's just a fact of life, right? If you're trying to get three friends to agree on where to go out to eat for lunch, that takes more time than if it's just one friend. You with me on that trade-off? Yeah. Sorry? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so the the reason that I wanted to bring up so let's, let's see if we can distinguish between systems or ideologies and mechanics. So uh, let's let's precisely so I have no particular fondness for capitalist ideology, right? As a uh, systemic way of assigning value to things. Okay. Mm -hmm. However, um, where I get confused is that you seem to be conflating capitalist ideology with the mechanism of markets. And so from my perspective is I'm fine with trashing all the existing ideology. However, I think it is wise to uh, look at the different mechanisms that people have used throughout history, which include consensus, voting, delegation, markets, and others. And to say, okay, each of those mechanisms has a useful place for solving certain kinds of problems. And the real challenge is figuring out what is the appropriate mechanism or tool to use in the appropriate place to optimize the overall flourishing of the system. So that's uh, one point I wanted to make is that I think it's worthwhile distinguishing market as a mechanism. And by which I do not mean necessarily free market in the libertarian, idealistic, utopian sense, but just markets as a mechanism where you have a small number of scalar variables that you can use to rank alternatives and you know, share information and resources around that. So I'm a, I agree with you, I do not want to worship markets, which I agree that many people in the capitalist ideology do, but I still want to be able to use markets. Mm -hmm. um, like I do not want to worship democracy, but I want mm -hmm. to be able to use voting. Correct. Yeah. Right, we on the same page? Yes. Okay, good. So the second point I, I think that's interesting to make is that um, so there's one tension between or trade-off, uh, which appears to be intrinsic between speed of decision making and representation uh, um, depth. Let's call it depth of decision making. How many different people? How many different factors are considered? Which is one of the reasons why markets are interesting is that it collapses that depth in order to, to speed, it, you know, it's an extreme trade-off, which has 
some very positive aspects and some horrendously negative ones. Uh, another trade-off, or maybe it's part of the same trade-off, I'm not sure, uh, which we discussed before was this tension between the individual and the community and the community and the society uh, in which, or the larger population in which it leads. And that's what we talked about that there is a, um, it may not be a fundamental trade-off. In fact, I would argue it's not a fundamental trade-off, uh, but there is still a tension that at any given point in time, based on the limited information available, there is, so there's not an ultimate trade-off, or a theoretical trade-off, but there is a, in practice at different points in time, there are trade-offs between what's good for me as an individual, what's good for my community, and what's good for other communities. And the picture that you have described to me, when I hear you say that, um, I hear you describing a bottom-up vision where the individual well, sort of lower down in the system carries more weight than those things higher up the system, mm -hmm. which implies to me that you're prioritizing being representative over being decisive and uh, local um, values over global values. Was that your intent or am I misunderstanding you? Uh Except for the representative part, uh, you, did you say representative? Yeah, representative versus the decisive, low level versus high level. Mm, I see that more like particip participatory. And what, what I mean is that uh, the, uh, in, the members of a group of, or a community would not delegate decision maker making. They they will be the decision makers also. So uh, to that to that vision, I add technology, technology that enables individuals to have the information they need to decide to make decisions for themselves and have the community make a decision. Uh, so that goes also with voting and uh, um, with having not leaders and not representatives but having facilitators that is their responsibility to always um, uh, portray the, the views and values and ideals of the people that they uh, are in charge of or, or represent. You know, I don't want to use that. Wait, so how do you say, something else, yeah, so the, um, yeah, the, um, let me see if you can find the right word to describe because you just said not representative. Um, um, there is um, so facilitator is, is probably the population they are serving rather than representing. Mm -hmm. Probably yes. the right verb you're looking for, right? Okay, right. So that implies, in the extreme case, which is what you're saying, that in any given community, all of the members, however it's defined, whether it's a state with multiple communities or a community with multiple individual households, if you will, and households with multiple individuals, that at each level of decision-making, that there is no one who can make a decision on behalf of the community 
uh, every decision has to be, they have to consult with the entire community before they can make any decisions. Is that what you intend to say? Yeah, uh, yes. Right, and, and so the, right, so even in uh, the smallest, most concrete case, I have found that impossible. You know, I have two kids, mm -hmm. and I say, okay, let's agree on what movie we're going to watch. And like half the time, it ends up in tears of one person running away. Yeah. Right. So, but this is a noble ideal. Consulting everybody about everything is not really practical or even desirable. Like, I don't actually want to be forced to give my opinion on everything. Um, the simplest alternative to that is what is called a revocable proxy, which is to say, look, I don't really want to be consulted on everything, so I'm going to grant a revocable proxy to say, for X decisions, I, um, for decisions about X, I appoint person Y as my revocable proxy. And that therefore, the things that I don't care that much about or I trust this person for, they make the decision for me. And therefore, every time something comes up, uh, they can make that decision. And then, but there is at least a, Can you hear me? Ernest, can you hear me? I have a fine-grained way to say, I care about this, I don't care about this, and for to Wait, for the design the alerts. Yeah, yeah sorry. For the past 40 seconds, oh. you were not, I couldn't hear you. Okay. Oh, my point about, was about finite information flows. Sorry. The point is, is that what you really want is a well-designed filtering system so that certain things you must give a positive assent to ahead of time. Other things you have a period of time afterwards to voice your decisions and displeasures uh, of yes, how exactly. your proxy made the decisions. And so that becomes an information architecture design problem. Mm -hmm. Right? And the, um, so that's the sort of hard technical problem of designing the information architecture so you don't get overwhelmed with decisions you don't care about, but you still see the things you care about. And there is a, I don't know if it's a formal theorem, I think it's called Masnick's Law, that um, any moderation filtering system will suck. Because either you get too many false positives or you get too many false negatives uh, just because of the laws of, of the way information works no matter how well you defined it is. So there is a fundamental trade-off there. Um, and that's why, you know, the Athenian vision of direct democracy was all wealthy slave owners, right? 
because they could afford to spend all their time arguing about the city to someone else to serve, you know, cooking the meals and tilling the fields. And, and so even if, you know, so, you know, we could certainly do better, and that's an ideal shift, but realize there is still that hard trade-off that's going to have to be made at different levels of delegation versus attention. Yes. Um, and uh, uh, the issue of act, yeah, time that an individual has in you know, exploring, you know, uh, values and ideals and the decisions that uh, they're, you know, that we call them proxies make for them. Uh, in my project, um, people have more time because uh, there are no jobs. Yeah, but so more, what, 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 uh, do they, what, are you going to insist that they maximize the time spent on higher level community decision making versus the time they want to spend at home with their families? Uh, well, it could be similar to how people uh, these days, you know, they spend time of, on Twitter and Instagram, which is, uh, and I don't know, they might not see him, but I think it's a huge time suck. I mean, all you, you spend hours watching TikTok. You have many downsides, right? But, but so the question is, though, are you going to, let's get to the, uh, so sure, clearly we have many systems which are negative sum games, right? Where people are doing lots of things that are destructive mm -hmm. and wasteful and soul crushing. No disagreement with that. The question is, and certainly I'm all in favor of us creating superior alternatives that are pro-social and pro-flourishing, right? Mm -hmm. The point is that attention is still a finite resource. And at some point, uh, the question is, do we respect people's decisions on what they spend attention for, or are we um, artificially limiting their choices so they only spend time on those things we think are important? Um, I think it's the former, you know, the... Uh, I want the individual to always have power, whether uh, they, uh, um, uh, you know, use it now or or, or later. Right. Right. Know, like. right. Yeah, I think the reality is is that it's another trade-off, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, we like to empower people, but you know, we don't want people selling addictive drugs in every corner just because they want to or can, right? Mm -hmm. We have community standards of certain things. Like, you know, cigarettes is kind of on the border. If you're above a certain age and, you're willing to, and you pay certain taxes, you can. And if you're below a certain age, you can't, or at least you're not supposed to, right? And the point is, is that every community has to make trade-offs like that. And you can say, well, I prefer the trade-offs beyond this structure, but that in itself is a community decision, right? Uh, we can't go back to the world of, I mean, the last thing we want is the platonic world of wise philosopher kings telling everybody everything, right? Mm. Right, and, so that's, and that's the point is that people have varied preferences. They also have varied context, right? When my children were two years old, I had much less time for conversations like this than I do now, mm -hmm. right? And so we have to design the system acknowledging 
that there's a trade-off between responsiveness and decisiveness. And I think, you know, revocable proxy is, is an interesting design pattern for how we're doing that. But then there's also accounting for individual variation in how much time, energy, intellectual capacity, taste, interest they have in different issues. And the goal would be to design a system that is robust in the face of those variations. Right? We can't assume that everyone is paying attention to everything all the time. Uh, and then there's a third problem, which is the, what do they call it, the, the quo vetus, uh, who watches the watcher, right? Is that yeah. you can make these things easier by building more intelligent systems. But that yeah. in itself carries a price because those systems themselves have inherent complexity, which means not everyone has, you know, so like, you know, a vision of a world uh, where we have, and, and again, the blouse, which, so let me use the word decentralized as to resolve the tension between top down and bottom up. That using revocable proxies um, and, you know, social rituals like voting or deliberative discussion, we agree on some high level goals for our top, for our higher level communities. And then there's great empowerment at the lower levels for how they go about doing that and accountability via metrics for how well they're doing. Okay. So we use decentralization and revocable proxy. Those are two of our design patterns. And then um, the best you can hope for out of a system is transparency, right? Is it you're clear on who's making which decisions, on how the filtering algorithms work, um, the values that are used to guide that. Um, but then you're gonna end up with the final paradox, which is that the system runs with the least friction when people can, trust is, is kind of the inverse of friction. If you trust people, you don't have to spend all the time, if you trust the code, if you trust the open source, you don't have to spend all your time worrying about what the incentives of the people are running it, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. But once a system is so trusted or a metric is so trusted that you stop worrying about it, it's precisely the point where it becomes vulnerable to being gained because people trust it. And this is the uh, really crazy implication of that paradox is that um, you want your systems to be trustworthy, but not too trustworthy, right? Because if they never break, then you stop paying attention. If they break too often, of course, then you stop learning how to fix it. There's a certain, one can imagine a critical error rate that you need to maintain in order that someone's paying attention, right? Because if we replaced Facebook and Twitter, which have horrendous you know, ad-driven decision-making with a decentralized social network with open source uh, you know, filtering algorithms that are user configurable, mm -hmm. then um, it's not obvious why anyone would corrupt that. But in some sense, that means that increases you know, we already have a fairly high level of complacency now, but there are people who actually do make it their job to try and yell at Facebook and Twitter. But, you know, what will happen is, is that if you make that uh, too much better, then only the real nut jobs will complain about our decentralized, transparent system. 
which means when there's a real problem, then it'll be hard to distinguish the serious players from the net jobs. And that's just a trade-off that I don't think is, it can be mitigated, but you can't. So anyway, that's kind of, when I talk about looking at historical systems and understanding it, I'm not saying, you know, we can't throw it all away or replace it. I'm saying you totally can, but you can't necessarily avoid the trade-offs that those systems had to make. And, you, you know, as much as they suck, I have a saying, right? Everything is awesome, uh, including that which sucks, and everything sucks, including that which is awesome. Right? Civilization, as we have it, sucks on many levels. But it's really extraordinary that it functions at all, considering how badly broken it is. And it gives me a certain level of humility, well, not very much, I can't claim to have an excess of humility, but a certain level to say, you know, it is not guaranteed that anything we create to replace it must suck less. The best we can hope for is it sucks less in the areas we care most about. In one big, well, big area is the area of who owns the system. You know, we don't own Facebook. We just use it. We don't. Well, yes, you know, but I mean, you know, in the modern economy, in modern political economy, you know, if there was a majority of voters, like there was during Standard Oil and Rockefeller, who said, you know, because right now, the, the the government is at some level, you know, of the people, by the people, and for the people, and if there is sufficient political will, Facebook has a charter to exist from a country several countries perhaps um and we have the you know, we have in principle the power to break it up in practice it's very difficult but it's also difficult because people disagree right and there's no guarantee i mean if your solution is a world where everyone agrees with you that's not uh, probably realistic or desirable but the fact of the matter is that we could break up facebook if we really wanted to as a, as a nation body politic Right? We could regulate it. We could transform it. We could abolish it. It happened to Standard Oil. It happened to AT&T. It sort of happened to Microsoft, though not really. So, you know, it, it is the, 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 the flawed democracy we live in has a route to resolving these issues. Now, you could argue that the system is inefficient and biased for how we can communicate and build support. And I would totally agree with you. So the hard part then is building a better system for people to collaborate and argue and surface the most important issues for us to agree about. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's the hard thing is, is getting, it's basically like the filtering problem. If you can go on Twitter and you can say whatever you want, which you know is pretty remarkable, um, and in principle, anyone else can hear you. In practice, almost nobody will. And there's skills you can build to do that. And then the question is that, you know, and there's certain things which are very hard to do. Like I've had some great philosophical discussions on Facebook, which ended up uh, just killing me because they ran against the grain of what Facebook is meant to allow. Facebook is not designed to allow lo uh, long, thoughtful conversations among multiple people. It's just horrible for that. 
And so you can imagine systems that are designed better than that. Um, but I think that's the, maybe that's a good way to end on, is that um, we talked about this uh, a little before. Civilization advances when we find better ways to resolve disagreements, whether it's trial by jury or voting or the scientific method. And, you know, it seems like, you know, in order for all these systems to work, the hard part is getting people to actually have a meaningful discussion and reach agreement and consensus that, yes, this is close enough to what we all want that we're willing to move forward with it. And maybe we'll leave it as our topic for next week. Okay. All right. Yeah. Right. And the, uh, the, the, the generic category for this is deliberative democracy. Um, and there's been a lot of technical innovation on that in the last few years. And I'll try to remember to send you some links or maybe post them in the sleep. All right. All right. All right. Goodbye, Thank Ernest. Thank you, Ernest. Thank you, Ernest. <laughs> Thank you, Ernest. Bye. Bye.